Um, all right. Uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. This is episode 39. Um, super awesome. Uh, we have Andy Najat on the podcast, Katie Najat's brother. Um, you had a very, very interesting uh, tweet on Twitter last week that I, I got to tell you, Andy, you had a lot of people commenting, a lot of people retweeting, got a lot of people excited. Um, I hope that you really felt the love because I, I mean, I, th- I thought it was an amazing uh, comment. Do you want, do you want me to tell everybody listening? What, what did you tweet out and what were you trying to kind of get across when, when you posted that? Okay. So my initial intent with this tweet was um, Katie had jumped. Uh, Katie had taken second place at the world cup in London and mm-hmm. she had jumped 468, which isn't a bad bar by any means, but she, she's been, um, trying to get back to where she ended indoor season and right. just early on she had gone to 15 foot poles and they just weren't working out. So she and Brad decided to go back to 14, six poles. Right. Um, so she was just still finding her rhythm and her vault again on those. So she was just a little down that it hadn't come back as quickly as it could. Yeah. Um, I mean, nothing ever comes as quickly as you want to do in this sport. Right. And I, well, that's, well, that's I Andy, that, that's life, right? <laughs> you oh, <know>. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. But so what I tweeted, my intent was just like to kind of Publicly, I guess, like, comfort her, like, show her, like, you're still having a great season. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't expecting anything near the response that I got. What I said was, can we all just appreciate that in 2017, Katie had three clearances of 470 plus or at least 155. Right. And for everybody listening, four, 470 is 153, 154? Uh, 15.5. 15.5. Okay. Sorry. In 2018, she has come or she has jumped that bar or higher 17 times. Wow. Now, actually, 18, if you include uh, Monica recently. Right, uh, right. To the point where it has become just another day or mediocre. And right. And then I said, it's still only July, meaning a whole lot more can happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the reason that that got so much love is, like, you know, you, you gave a lot of information. That was short, sweet, simple, but... That that's very very meaningful and great analysis of someone's season. I mean, you know, jumping a bar once is great, but showing that kind of consistency and being able to show up every meet and do that over and over and over again means a lot. And like you said, you even uh, mentioned in the in the tweet, like, you know, that means that a bigger bar is probably coming. You know, that's a good indicator. You know, and. You know, it just shows overall level of competitiveness uh, at that stage. You know, I think I think that means a lot. I think too often, you know, in the pole vault world, the only thing people talk about is, well, what's the highest mark the person has, and it doesn't even matter what meet it happened at. And I think even that kind of discussion starts to become meaningful. It's like, where do people get their their highest jump, you know, because there are probably the athletes that, you know, and maybe you could tell me more, uh, you know, maybe you know the numbers on this, but there are probably the athletes that they jump their highest at the championship meets, and then there are those athletes that 
jumped their highest in early season meets, which, you know, obviously I don't think it's up for argument. You want to jump your highest heights at the championship meets. I mean, wouldn't you say that even stuff like that becomes super, super important than just discussing someone's PR, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you definitely want to peak at the end of the season, but there are those people who struggle to get out of their comfort zone. They just, they vault really well at home, and they just aren't able to transfer it to the championship level, at least not yet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, you know, and I think that that's important discussion to, to be had. I mean, who would you say, you know, and, you know, kind of in an effort to kind of stay positive, but, like, who would you say are some of the better vaulters over the years that you've seen who have been able to, one, maybe produce that consistency or, you know, produce those marks at the end of the season? You know, who are some of the people that over the years you, you found that are best at that? I feel like the easy answer here is definitely Renault, just okay. because of his longevity in the sport. Um, he's gotten a medal at virtually every championship that he's gone to since yeah. 2011. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of what you aim to be. I mean, he, he still hasn't had that outdoor world championship. Right. He's always been able to contend, and he's always been able to produce uh, a 580 bar, which I feel like is kind of barrier that separates, I guess you could say, the men from the boys in the men's pole vault. Um, right, right. And, fi- and 580, uh, again, just because I, I try to... 19 feet and a half inch. Right. Sorry. So, no, no, it's okay. I just, that way nobody gets lost in the conversation. Um, but right. yeah, I, I definitely think that 19 foot bar is, is a very, very important bar. Um, and it's been an important bar for decades. You know, I mean, I think that's sometimes, you know, what upsets me because I, I think almost uh, we become like track snobs. You know, a little bit, some of us, we only want to hear about a world record, you know? And I think the thing is, like, a 19-foot bar for men or even for women, like you were saying with Katie's marks, a 15-5 bar, those are those are huge marks right now still. You know, very, very competitive, you know? I mean, right, if, absolutely, yeah. you hit that 15-9 bar, you can still win a lot of meets. Like, one of the things that I tell people all the time is I think people forget how awesome Stacy Dragila was. Because her world record at the time was like 15, 10 and a quarter, 15, 10 and a half. And that's such a great, great mark and would still win meets today. But she was jumping that at a time where opening bars at professional meets were 12, nine for women. Like, yeah. that's wild, you know? So the thing is, the, the I, I think, again, we can become track snobs and just kind of want to watch for world records, but we're not looking at the full story, and I think our sport is a lot deeper than that, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think there are some people, or there are both men and women this season who have really improved their consistency or they've been working on it for a couple of years and it's really starting to show. I mean, I know it's technically an off year, I guess, outdoors. Right, right, because we don't have an outdoor world championship. Mm -hmm. Right, but there's still like a European championship, there was a World Cup, there's a couple other big meets, but there's not a world championship. Right. And some people are using this year to really find their consistency. Yeah. So who, who would you um, who would you say are those top people who, in in your mind? Who do you see as one of the top? 
I feel like the most consistent vaulter in the world is Sam Kendricks. Yeah, I I mean I I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had he's had fourteen meets this season, so he's done a bunch of jumping, but he's got two two bars over nineteen four. Um, he jumped five ninety six this season, which yeah. is roughly nineteen five. Right. Um, and he's won four out of his seven Diamond League meets. He's shown well at the top level consistently this season. Yeah. One kind of messed up, I guess you could say, early on in Shanghai. He took ninth, but... Yeah, and, and I, I thought, and I don't know, I mean, this is uh, allegedly, I, I thought I read somewhere that I guess he was trying out different size poles and, you know, kind of like going back to y- your sister's story, it's like, you know, if something's not working, you got to make a change, you know, so I guess he went back right. down or something and, and he's gotten that consistency back and that's that's really huge at that level, you know, you know what I mean? Like, look, like, if you're trying stuff out, that's great. But if you keep losing the meats, you're going to find yourself out so- soon enough. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to be producing those marks at those meats. And Sam is definitely super, super consistent. You know? Yeah, and that definitely shows the strength as a vaulter to not let that uh, that one bad meat really mess with him. Right. Uh, he, because I mean, he's come back and he's jumping again almost two feet higher than what he jumped that day. Yeah. Just yeah. in one season. Well, yeah, and, and they talk about this, obviously, in all sports, you know, um, what comes to mind for me is, like, the NFL, they always talk about, like, cornerbacks, you know, people who cover the wide receivers, and it's like, listen, if you get burned for a touchdown, you got to be able to forget about that and play the game the same way, and I think for pole vaulters, that's really, really big, it's like, you have to have the mental toughness and I think you have to have a system that you understand enough that if you do have a bad meet, you know why you had a bad meet, you correct that, and you get back on the horse, and, and you're able to produce again. Because it's real easy to get in your head and start doubting everything under the sun when you don't perform well. You know, it's like all of a sudden you, you could come up with a, a load of excuses as to why you didn't jump high, and clearly like Sam and his dad... I, you know, they have some kind of an amazing system, whatever they're doing, and they know what's going to create the performances they need. And, and Sam's very level-headed. Like, you never see, like, Sam freaking out at meets or anything like that. Like, he's very, very calm and collected, you know? Yeah, he's very professional. I think part of that is just how he, that shows just how he was raised, but also yeah. it shows that he's, he has that mental strength of he's not really going to let stuff bother him, mm. and he's going to treat every jump as just a new jump, not really related to the past one, just trying to execute the same thing that he's been trying to execute, maybe slightly better than the previous jump. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and again, talking about, you know, the the mental side of it a little bit, I, I can't tell you, Andy, when I had Katie on this year versus the first... Uh, time I had her on the podcast I mean I just I was like wow this is a different person she just seems so much tougher so so much stronger in her conviction for the vault and just had a direction you know what I mean like I I literally like after I did that podcast I was telling a a couple of my friends I was like she's gonna kill it this year like I really you know she's gonna have a huge year because I could just tell like just mentally she was just different you know 
Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that Brad has brought to her. He's obviously, if people have seen videos from years ago and then this mm-hmm. year, she's got a significantly better takeoff. Mm-hmm. But part of that and the takeoff has kind of helped the mental side as well. But she just has been able to eliminate just the emotional side of the vault, mm-hmm. at least like the fear or the intimidation or whatever, because that's just, that's not a physical barrier, so it's not, there's nothing on the runway that's preventing you from running down it and getting over a bar when you're afraid. That's just a construct that you have. Right. So it's kind of, it's difficult, but it's a choice. You can let it, you can allow it to affect you, or you can not allow it to even take up a spot in your brain. Yeah. And that's what she's been able to really master this year. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why she's become so consistent. Yeah. Well, what I love that you, you mentioned in there is that both play on each other, right? It's like if the yeah. physical, technical stuff is not going well, well, that's going to affect your mental in, in a negative way, and then it's kind of then it's like a vicious, you know, downward spiral. Whereas if like the mental and the physical are working together, right? It's like if you do something physically right and you get a better outcome, that makes you feel better, and that, you know what I mean. Now, now you kind of get get things going, and that that's really really huge, um, and, and keeping a vaulter confident and and just make continuing to make progress. Um, Kind of go back to our original question. Who do you think now? I mean, Sam. I agree with you. I think Sam is like bulletproof at this point. What What about the women's side? Who do you Who do you think is one of the better vaulters on the women's side? I believe the most consistent vaulter just this season um, is Sandy Morris. She's she's jumped in fewer meets than some of the other vaulters on the elite circuit. Like mm-hmm. she's jumped in eight meets. Um, no, she was dealing with injury a little bit, especially during indoor. Mm-hmm. Um, but outdoor, she's jumped in eight meets, and every meet she's jumped fifteen five, and then six of those she's jumped fifteen nine. Yeah, she's won two Diamond League meets this year, which those are especially in the women's pole vault the way it's growing right now. That's not easy to do. Right? I no. Mean, we just had a Monaco competition where eight women jumped fifteen seven. Right. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it. Yeah, it's it's just it's just wild to to watch the women's side really really blossom. You know, Um, there's so much competition. You know, and a lot of young talent. Um, On the flip side, wow, what a resurgence for Jen Sure, right? I mean, like, absolutely. I mean, if you thought, if you, if you asked maybe going into this year, you know, thoughts, you were probably thinking like winding down, but she, she's really starting to kill it. Absolutely, she's having probably the most consistent year she's ever had, just with how many meets she's jumped in, and she's kind of jumped sparsely in the past, right? But especially not in Europe, right? Um, but this year she's gone overseas and she's continue to have the same success she's had and or domestically this year and she's jumped 15 five nine times this season and actually jumped crazy personal best early on right right an outdoor personal best and and how crazy because what, what's your highest uh, what what was that 
Was that? Uh, that was four meters ninety three. So I think it's roughly sixteen one and three quarters. Yeah, and with sixteen two. Right, and so it's like what what a huge year for her, and and the thing is too. Again, I you know what too. Uh, you know, an idea I like talking about is like competition, and I think we were talking about it a little bit uh, before the podcast. But how competition breeds these marks, you know? I think because the women's vault is so hot now, it has kind of pushed those kind of marks. That even Jen, who is a little bit older, and you know, there was always rumors about them talking about retirement, but now she's able to jump better than she's ever jumped before. Because think about in the past, I mean, earlier in Jen's career, it's like she could win a meet with 15-5. You know, she could win a meet with 15-1. You know, she, she, could, she could win oh, with, yeah. with a 460 mark, where now you just can't do that. You're not going to win with 460 anymore. I mean, that would be a very, very rare, weird meet if you win with 460, you know? Yeah, especially, like, even just in the U.S., we've seen such an improvement even in the past five years. Right. Jen used to be able to, you're right, Jen used to be able to come in and jump 15-1, and if she wanted to, that was typically enough to win, and she could call it a day at the U.S. Championship, but now, right. that's very far from the case. <laughs> right, yeah, you, you just can't do that. So, here, here's an idea that I have, Andy, and hear me out on this, and how I think this ties into competition and performance and all that. Um, so, I mean, currently, uh, our content distribution, we are in the internet era, right? Everybody gets their content through internet. Prior to that was television. Prior to that was radio. And prior to that was newspaper. And so, I, I, track and field is a newspaper era sport, if you think about it. And think about it, it plays really well on newspaper because we have a lot of content, like a lot of different events. So when you open up the newspaper, there's pages and pages of like events and like the results, right? Plus it's a multi-day event, right? So it's like, oh, if you open the paper today and you're like, oh, wow, honey, look, the track meet is in town. We should go tomorrow, right? We can go see that guy that throws the shot really far, right? And so that that's kind of how track was back then. But then, once radio comes out, what sport takes over? Do you want to take a guess? Baseball. Baseball. Because now baseball is a slow enough sport that we can hear the story. You know what I mean? So it's like you, th- you think right. about it. You get a radio uh, broadcast, and you, know, you hear the bat hit the ball. It's like, whack! He hit the ball! Wait, he's rounding first! He's running a second! Here's the throw! Safe, you know, it's like it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful story, and it and it catches fire. Baseball is huge, you know. Then, yeah, but basketball and NFL didn't really pick up on radio because I don't know if you ever try to listen to basketball on the radio, but it it's crazy. You can hardly keep up. You know, you can't really picture it in your head. So they needed television, right? So once television comes about, you know, you get football and basketball take over, and you know, obviously, we know what the Super Bowl has become today as far as a worldwide event. You know, and so. Yeah. Now we're in the internet era, and I think part of the problem with with track is that we still, you know, market it the way we would in the newspaper era. You know, like, it was funny, the same day that you tweeted out, you know, the analysis that you had, which, again, 
we need more analysis like that. Like I'm telling you, that was great. I, I feel like if you if you tweeted out like once a week something like that about one one athlete in any event, you know. But obviously, I'm selfish. I would want to hear about pole vultures. Uh, but if you tweeted out about a pole vulture every week, that would be awesome because you'd really be educating the fans because we're not getting that story. Instead, it's like everything that is put out for track content is like results or winners or world records, you know, or leading mark. But there, there's no story. Like, look, you and I both have a little bit of an inside scoop, right? Like, I know enough people, your sister's a professional pole vaulter, that you hear the stories, right? Plus, I do, yeah. you'll, you'll find, you know, and so will I, like the, the link on the internet so I could just watch the, the men's or women's pole vault final. You know what I mean? So I can actually see the story unfold. Like, I can't tell you how exciting that Rio Olympics with the Silva's win. I literally jumped out of my chair. When he made that oh, second man. attempt, 603, I jumped out of my chair. What an exciting meet. Cause, and it made it thrilling because honestly, the meet was going kind of par for the course. Renault was easily in the lead. Sam was going to be in the top three. Like everything seemed fine. Everything was going according to plan. And then out of nowhere, De Silva comes from behind and steals the show. Like that was so, so thrilling. But we're not, as track fans, as a track community, and I think also trying to grow the sport, we're not putting that out there. That's an attention grabber. That's what gets you to want to watch. Does that make sense? And. And yeah, so because absolutely. we're so because we're still stuck in this kind of newspaper era. I mean, look, you know what else was popular during the newspaper era? The circus. And think about how a circus is marketed. It's like go watch the lion tamer. Go watch, you know, um, the acrobats. Go watch the strongman. But it's like all like little moments. It's not a story. Right? It's not a movie, you know? Whereas, like, we have that in track. It's just, I feel like we're not using the internet and social media to its fullest capabilities to provide that story. Does, does that make sense? What do, what do you think about that? Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you that we can absolutely improve on how we market our sport and how it's made accessible. I mean, you have access, you can get access to some meets, but usually there's a membership required and right to get to get an NBC sports account I don't I mean we're trying to grow the sport I feel like the best way would be through just youth access but what mm. 12 year old kid has 75 spare dollars around to get an NBC sports gold account right well and and here's the thing if you want people to pay $75 for a gold account like the people who are paying that $75 typically speaking if if we're looking at the demographic cuz just going off of people that I know that buy that $75 sports program it's like people that were involved in the sport when they were younger they're a lot older now and they'd like to watch an olympic level sport you know what i mean um it's not younger people you're not getting younger people involved you know and the thing is like i i mean it just is the way it is like you're not going to go to a sports bar and they're not going to play nbc gold package they're going to be playing boxing or nfl game or so you know what i mean like they're going to play that stuff which is going to draw more people in um i think you're right i think right now to grow the sport we need to provide more free content and it's 
and it's cheap. Here's the thing. You don't have to charge a lot of money to follow this. You literally could have somebody on the infield with like an iPhone and they could just be Instagram storying it up. You know what I mean? They, they could, you know what I mean? Like there's simple ways to do it. Um, you know, and Absolutely. it, yeah. And it's it just, cause here's the thing to you and I, cause we know the stories and we'll find some web feed or whatever. And maybe also we will pay the $75 because you know, whatever I, I own a pole vaulting club. I'm really into pole vault. Your sister's jumping. So you want to watch her. Right. So, but it's like when we watch it at the way we watch it, it's like, it's, it's just as exciting as any other sport, you know, it, it, if not more so, you know, because I think there's things that our sport does that other sports don't. I, I think, look, one of the things that I think, you know, huge, how awesome would it be to have someone in the infield with a mic and after you clear a bar, much like after pit stops in NASCAR, the guy goes up to the vaulter or the vaulter's coach and is like, hey, that was that was a big jump. Like, any adjustments for the next one? Uh, you know, maybe going up a pole, up grip, or you adjusting the standards, step, you know, and they, they can start ta- rattling out their adjustments, and now that gets the fans more involved. D- does that make sense? Yeah, there's more, there's more engagement. It's, they, that builds interest. A lot of it, especially with the more technical events, so you, I feel like two of the most technical events in track are pole vault and hammer. Yes. Um, so... I feel like we, I feel like we're growing as an event, but we're still not the glamour event of the hundred just because there's so much to understand and Mm -hmm. it's hard for someone to go out and just decide, I want to learn, uh, how pole vault works as opposed to, I want to learn how the hundred meter dash works. Like, okay, they get down in their blocks, they have their, if you want to get really technical, okay, they have their drive phase. Yeah. They have different sections of, their race, but I mean, that lasts 10 seconds, Well, and, depending and, on who's running. Right, well, and here, here's my thing. You know, instead of seeing that stuff as a negative in our event, I think it's a positive because there's so much more story. You know what I mean? Because now, after a meet, here's the thing. I mean, also, good and bad, right? But here's the thing. After a meet, it's like, the fan base could be like, oh, that dummy, he went up a pole and got stood up. He shouldn't have done that. Or, wow, he went up a pole, he made it. Like, awesome move. Now he's a hero. Do, does that make sense? Like, na- now yeah. the, there's there's more to follow there. And here's the thing. I don't think our sport is that difficult to learn about. I mean, when let's break down football for a second. So if you think about football, forget about even the, the, the X's and O's, like the offense and defense. Just knowing the rules, right? You have four tries, four downs to cover 10 yards to get another four tries. Then if you go 100 yards down the field, you get a touchdown. That's six points. Then you got to kick an extra field, uh, extra point field goal, or you can go for a two-point conversion. You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's already, like, we're getting pretty complicated, but what, what football and a lot of other sports do really well is they do a good job of explaining their sport, you know? And they're never forgetting the fact that it might be someone's first time watching you know what i mean so you know i think that that's a little bit what is tough in our sport there's not enough people just even explaining the silly stuff like i this is you're gonna think this is crazy andy so 
I, I was on, you know, Instagram and I was just scrolling through and some kid asked him a question, you know, and so I DM the kid, the, the kid was wondering like why some vaulters aren't consistent, you know, on the professional level, this kid literally right. thought that at some meets they only allow the men's pole vaulters to use 15 foot poles. You, oh my gosh. Right. Right. Like, wow. what does that say about our sport? Like, the, the kid literally thought, it's like, oh, I guess, like, those meets where, like, everybody jumps, like, 18, like, maybe they're just on shorter poles. Like, the, the kid's trying to figure out our sport. Like, one, he's not understanding why it's not consistent because, you know, who knows? Maybe it was bad weather that day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know, but we're not getting that information. And so then now this kid who's young, impressionable, you know, I mean, I think he's like a 10-foot vaulter. You know what I mean? Just starting out in high school, but yeah. already loves it. But it's like... Yeah, no shame on him at all for trying to rationalize. He's just, he just doesn't know. Right. Right. He's just trying to figure it out. And so, like, I just, I just thought it was crazy. And it's like, so it's like, that says a lot about our sport. Like, look, what me and you may think is, like, silly. It's like, uh, yes, you get three attempts. Every time you clear a bar, you get another three attempts. Well, yeah, but some people don't know that. Some people don't know how passing works. You know, there, you know how many people I know that, that like, because I'm, I'm very aggressive when I coach. So if, like, I'm in a situation where someone's going for the win, like, I'll, if they have one miss but the other person makes the bar, I'll always pass. And the parents are always confused. Like, wait, they only had two attempts. I'm like, no, but they had one at the lower bar. And then I explain the passing routine, right? It's like, if you have a miss and you elect to pass to the next bar, you only have two attempts. You have three total attempts. You already wasted one. You could jump at any bar you want, but you only get three attempts. Some people don't understand that. They don't get the passing game, you know, which I think is obviously a very exciting part of pole vault. But, you know, it's just there's not enough information like that. And then, I again, Andy, to go back to your tweet, you know, you, one, you got so much attention for it, which I, I have to say, I was scrolling through the IAAF Twitter, which, how many, how many followers do you have on, on Twitter? Uh, I don't even know, like, uh, I can check really quick if you want. Um, Is it like a thousand? Two thousand? No, like three hundred. Okay, three hundred. I, I just want you to know, you had more engagement, right? Like, you had a lot of retweets, a lot of comments, right? IAAF yeah, has over 200,000 followers on Twitter. I, dude, I was scrolling down. If there's one comment on a post, that's a lot. They have 200,000 followers. 200,000 people see their tweets every single day. They're getting zero engagement. And you know what's the real problem, Andy? And it's like, and this is something that I'm trying to put out there as far as social media and our sport is a lot of us are not listening to the fans. You know what I mean? We're not giving the fans the information that they want. You know, we're not helping them out. Because how about this, Andy? You're going to love this story. I met a kid at a high school meet this year, you know, and we were just, you know, BSing. And you know what he does? He told me that he goes, when his coach tells him to put the poles away, he hides them under the bleachers and then goes on Sunday alone so he could jump for more hours. You know what I mean? Like he just wants to get another session in and jumps by himself. That literally sounds like skateboard stuff. Like, you know when kids really like go skateboard at a mall parking lot and get kicked out by the cops? Yeah. Like that's how you know our sport is awesome because there's kids that are willing to do that. But I don't think as a sport we often enough listen to what people want. You know what I mean? I mean, what, what yeah, are your I thoughts feel- about some of that stuff? 
Yeah, I think there are some athletes who do really well with the fan engagement. Um, but I think there can be improvements. Like, I'm sure part of it is they just they just see a comment and they're like, oh, great, here's a troll. Um, yeah. So they just kind of blow it off and don't really look into the comment. Right. Um, now, at the same time, if they're on a big trip, if they're on a big trip in Europe, they they're going from meet to meet. They're like sleep deprived. They well, but 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 Andy, I, I'm not I'm not even saying time, I'm not even saying the athletes. We're talking about the IAAF Twitter. True. Do you, do you understand? Like it? Like I I I get it. Like you're an up and coming vaulter or, or track athlete, and you just made the circuit, and you're it's like a whirlwind. I could imagine. You know what I mean? But IAAF. They're in the business of promoting the sport, right? Like that, that is their business and they're not getting any engagement because they're not providing information that people want, you know, think as an established body, you would think that they'd have more engagement because I mean, if you just look at any random ESPN tweet, you're going to have probably a couple thousand replies or you're going to probably have a couple hundred replies just even on, in the U.S., soccer isn't big, but I'm sure there were plenty of World Cup tweets, and we weren't even in the World Cup. Right, right. Well, well. here's my thing, Andy. Think about the engagement that you saw. Uh, uh, I'm going to actually, I'm going to pull it up just so I don't get this wrong, right? I'm going to pull up your tweet now because I want to know specifically. Um, sure. yeah. Here we go. Yeah, you got 163 likes, two comments on your personal tweet, then you got 10 retweets, and I know personally, like, my retweet got a comment, and other people's retweet got a comment. Like, that's the engagement you got, and just looking at it, you have 372 followers. Could you imagine if you had 200,000 followers, how much engagement that would have got? I I don't even know what would happen. (laughs) Right, right. So... So here, here's my thing, and and I, I I don't I hate like just complaining and not providing solutions. So here's my thing, and you you tell me what you think about this. I think obviously there's an issue, right? Like IAAF posts, nobody's engaging. There's not a lot of you know content out there. And I guess what I'm saying to a lot of people is there's huge opportunity to provide content. You know what I mean? Like, I think so many more people could be putting content out, and this is people's opportunity to kind of capitalize on that. You know what I mean? Because I I think, you know, I'll use your sister as an example. I think your sister is amazing on social media, and I think she is awesome at any meet I've ever seen her at. Like, she loves taking pictures with fans. She loves bullshitting with people. You know what I mean? Like, she's just so amazing. And I can't tell you how many people I know that are, like, huge Katie Najat fans. And it's not just because of the bar she clears. It's because of that engagement with fans. And I I think also, like, even for you, like, I'm telling you, dude, if, if you tweet out, like, once a week, you know what I'm saying? some stat that you think sticks out to you that you think is really, really important. You know what I mean? Or even predictions, you know, like, Hey, this weekend, you know what? I kind of, I based off of these numbers, I think this is the person to watch this weekend. You know what I mean? 
And that that would be huge. And and we can start to grow stuff that isn't happening. You know you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think and I think even just the fans who are in the know, they can they can do what you're saying. They can talk more about uh, just who's been consistent as we like we were talking about earlier, they can talk about like what's been going well for people and based on that what they think is to come, just we can be more analytical and I feel right. like you're right in saying that a lot of the times it's just okay, so and so clears the bar instead of like a technical analysis in a way or so yeah. just clear to work lead, which that's great. That's information that needs to be out there and sure. very exciting when that happens. But I agree with you that there can be more depth to that. Right. Right. Um, and that it can kind of help explain why like why that person made that bar, like what they did well and maybe they don't make the next bar and why? Just to help educate well right and then also by providing more information you know what i'm saying it's like then the fan base becomes more knowledgeable they get more involved with the story and that they get hooked you know what i mean like it's it's so crazy like i just i feel like there's so much more that could be out there you know um and i think people are, are a little bit afraid because i think i think sometimes you know what it is i think some people are scared to comment because they're like, well, what gives me the right to say that? You know? And we were talking about this before I started the podcast. I feel like some people think that you have to be a physics professor to coach pole vaulting or that you have to be a physics major to pole vault. Guys, I'm telling you, I've coached a lot of people uh, that don't do really well in school, but they can jump really high. <laughs> and, and I mean, yeah. like, I, I listen, and I appreciate a, I appreciate all the people that give the really, really super technical breakdowns. There's people that do want that, but there is a simpler way to explain our event where anybody could understand it. I mean, you like, I'm sure that a physics professor could break down skateboarding for us and tell us how Tony Hawk is able to do that many spins on his skateboard on a half pipe, but I'm pretty sure Tony Hawk's not a physics professor. (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so the same in our sport. Like, guys, if you're telling me that only physics professors can be pole vault coaches or pole vaulters, then you're eliminating the number of people that can participate in this sport. I don't think our sport is that complicated. It's, it's a lot simpler than people make it out to be. Now, obviously at the higher levels, right, like even we were having that conversation about technique and how that affects your mentality and how your mentality affects your technique. And, you know, that's a little bit like that's layered, right? That's really layered. That's down the line. But early introductions into the sport can be a lot simpler. You know, it's, it's, it's not that crazy. I mean, you know, for a middle school boy or girl to jump six or seven feet is not insane. You know what I mean? And it's still fun. You know, it's still a good time. You know, and I think the same thing for fans, if we could just explain a little bit more about what's going into it and what what creates these results, it's going to get more engagement. You know, and I just, you know, I don't I almost think there's too much of uh, an elitist attitude when you talk to some people about track. You know, it's like if you oh, you don't know that. Oh, oh. And it's like, well, then we should probably explain it to that person, you know. 
yeah, I I get where you're coming from, and I feel like I feel like we can make the sport as simple or as complex as we want. Yeah, we don't have to. If we're explaining to someone, like we don't have to get into okay, so. When they take off the ground, their arms are at a hundred and sixty-seven degree angle or whatever. Get that technical with it. Sure. Literally, just say if you want to, you can literally explain to someone. Okay, pole vault is literally how fast can you run? How big of a pole can you get on? And how well can you transfer your energy? Yeah. You could leave it at that. Right. No. Yeah. If and, you want and, to, you can go more in depth and uh, get into the more technical aspects of it and then if you really want to get you could get super nerdy gritty with that but right well i i almost think of it think of it this way it's like the fitness industry right we have a spectrum of gyms out there right you have the powerlifting gym where dudes are trying to squat a thousand pounds and they're bleeding through their nose because it's so intense you know then you have like the strength and conditioning gym that is tailored towards athletic training right and very specific programs then you have like crossfit which is about community and working out together then you have la fitness where i just put my buds in and work out on my own and there's a lot of access to different equipment and then you finally have like planet fitness which is like i pay ten dollars a month and i might go there once in a while and I don't want to feel intimidated. Here's the thing with all of those gyms. They're all successful, and they all have people who want to go to them. What I think sometimes happens in the track world is we're like, well, all or nothing. Like, there can't be anything in between, right? It's like, if, like going back to the kind of the physics professor analogy, it's like, well, if you don't understand you know, the physics behind this, then you shouldn't be in this sport. It's like, whoa, let's slow down. Like, there, there's a spectrum right like we need the the clubs or gyms or coaches who are tailoring towards let's say younger kids and getting them introduced in the sport getting them pumped up all the way to that physics professor type guy who is going to maybe help take an elite vaulter to the next level you know what i mean yeah so it's like we i agree need- and i really like your spectrum example i mean even going back to your example of the physics degree yeah I, not everyone has not everyone is an astrophysicist. Not everyone knows all of the really complex laws of the universe. But right. Everyone, everyone's familiar with gravity. Right. Like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, but that—that's physics. Like, yeah. You don't think of it as super complex, but that genuinely is physics. And then you have—you can get a little more complex. And okay, here's friction. Here's free fall. Here's stuff like that. So. I get where you're coming from with that spectrum example, and mm-hmm. I feel like I really like what you're saying with how there can be a spectrum of the vault. There's the really intense, the, the elite level, but then yeah. it can also be recreational. I mean, not everyone, not in order to play basketball at the age of, I guess you could say, 50. You, that does, you don't have to be in the NBA to do that. You can go do a pick, you can go play a pickup game at the right. Line. Right. You don't have to play the Princeton offense with all these like picks and rolls and you know this and that. You just like shoot some hoops, <laughs> you know. And 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 here's the thing: like 
that's needed, right? Like, if our sport is to grow, we want as many people being involved in this as possible. And here's the thing. I love it, man. When I go through social media and I see some club that they just got some middle school kids and you'll see someone, like, helicopter over the bar, I'm like, awesome, man. I don't care. That kid's having fun. Like, they're having a blast. Like, that's promoting the sport, you know? And here, here's an interesting thought, too, Andy, and, and I want to know what you think. What I find funny is, you know, so I'll see that video of, like, a middle school kid helicopter over the bar, and I'm just, like, awesome, like, growing the sport. Beautiful. But you'll see someone, like, sometimes comment and be like, oh, my God, that's terrible. You shouldn't jump like that and blah, blah. Like, someone will try to, like, completely, like, destroy that jump, right? Meanwhile, but wait, but meanwhile, on the top end, if you were to comment on some professional vaulters jump and be like, hey, like, how come you only jump blah, blah, blah at this meet? Then everybody, like, attacks you, right? And here's what I think is kind of funny. So it's like we, we're trying to keep the bottom honest, but the top can do whatever they want. Like, infallible. If you're one of the top, you're infallible. And it's like, to me, it's like, um, that, like, think about this. Corporations or businesses don't fail because the janitor didn't clean the bathroom. They fail because the CEO didn't make the right decisions. Do you see? Do you see where yeah. I'm going with this? Yeah, I get I get what you're getting at, or I see what you're getting at. Um, everyone likes to be. Everyone likes. I feel everyone has really good intentions, especially yeah. when they're a social media coach. Mm-hmm. But the problem is. You don't have reference. Right. When Context, you yeah. Through social media, mm-hmm. you, like, even, I mean, even at the elite levels, you have people, you have people who, if they're, now if they're asking a question, that's great. Like, they're right. asking, I see you're doing this, is this something you're working on, or right. uh, how can I get, how can I get my vault to look like that? Right. But then you have other people who, I don't know if it just comes off the wrong way, but they're like, uh, you need to fix this. Like, you just, I'm sure they're trying to be helpful. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Usually, if you're at the elite level, you have, you have a coach who is either having you vault that way particularly, and you can explain why, or yeah. you, that's something you're trying to work on. Like, I know for a while, Katie got torn to shreds on social media for her takeoff. Right. Her bottom arm especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's something, I mean, she knew about it. It's something she's just trying to work on. <laughs> right. Even at the... Like, th- at the, think about think about how obvious that looks on social media. It's like, like, did that guy think that Katie was going to be like, oh my God, wait, was that really happening? I just, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's so silly. But go ahead, continue your thought. Yeah, but then even... With the kid who's helicoptering over the bar. I mean, clearly that's not their end goal. So, right. And most likely if he has a coach who's hopefully, or I'm assuming is knowledgeable enough yeah. to help him, like, stop that from happening. But, but in the meantime, he's still just learning how to jump. He's He doesn't need to jump the world record tomorrow. He's right. not getting ready for the Olympics tomorrow. He's... He's just having a good time and he's figuring it out. And I feel like he's probably in the process of that with his coach. Right. And you know what, too? I I think, you know what happens with social media a little bit? And I think sometimes maybe 
as track people because, you know, we're talking about this off the podcast. Some people aren't as in tune or up to date with social media. Um, I'm going to use a Gary V line. I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, but he posts about this a lot. Like a lot of people like hate on social media. They're like, oh, everybody's always on their phones now. And oh my God, like people are so mean to each other on social media. These are all things that were happening off of social media. Like, for, first of all, like, it's like, here's the thing. Like, if I post a jump, right, and someone rips my kid and rips my coaching, they were thinking that anyway. Now I just see it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I think that's one thing that I, I think as, as a track community, we have to get over. It's like, look, like, if someone hates on you, they're hating on you whether they post on social media or not. Don't let that prevent you from trying to do something great. Like, for example, like, I mean, I don't know, first of all, who would dislike your tweet. Your tweet was awesome. But let's say even you did get, let's say someday you do tweet something like, hey, like, I've noticed this downward trend in Valter X's season, like, not looking good. Obviously, that person's not going to like that tweet, right? But you're providing great information, and you know what? You're probably going to get a lot more fans, you know, like I know even some of the stuff that I post, like there's people who like just disagree with me because they love to disagree with me. I literally, I know there's people out there. They just like, I literally could be like the sky is blue and they're like, no, screw you, Bronco. The sky is orange. You know, like they would just want to get in a fight with me. But, um, but I know for a lot of other people, I'm providing valuable information. You know, they find it helpful. And so that's why I even keep posting and stuff. And I think that as a track community, we just have to get over that one, you have your critics they're out there, and all that happens with social media is you get to see who those critics are. The other thing that I would say is that sometimes, and this goes back to like listening to the fans thing, is that for me, even when someone criticizes me, I really like, I think about it. You know, is this someone who is just disagreeing with me to disagree with me, or is there some validity in this criticism? Is there maybe something that I need to hear with this and then provide something better? You know what I mean? Like, I know even this weekend, I'm, I'm running a meet at, at my club. Um, it's called the Northeast Pole Vault Club Championship. So there's a lot of clubs in the area that are coming in, and it's going to be really, really big. But, I mean, my big thing is I'm going to watch people's reactions and see what they like and dislike about the meet so that next year I could provide even a better meet. You know, and that's how I am when I coach practices, too. It's like I'm always kind of like trying to really listen and see what people want. You know, what are they really after? And I know even something like as, as little as like track meets. I think a lot of people, you know, they provide track meets that you can compete in, but it's not as big of an event as it could be. You know, it's not as fun. You know, it's like people pay like 20, 30 bucks. They come to a meet, they get their jumps and they leave. But the reason that we don't have fans stick around is because there's not enough of a show. There's not enough activity. And then because we don't have announcers or, you know, nobody sticks around. How often have you been to a meet where it's like the top jumpers don't have fans? There's the parents there for everybody who's jumping at the lower bars, but then they leave for the big jumps. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So I, I just, I guess to bring it all back around to my original point in this rant is like, I think we need to do a better job of listening on social media so that we could provide a, a, a better experience for our track fan base and grow that fan base. You know what I mean? And we just, we got to not worry, you know, about people criticizing us who are just critics. You know what I mean? Because there are just definitely the people that are just kind of haters. You know what I mean? They're just going to, they're just going to post crappy oh, yeah. stuff because they're haters. I see them all the time. 
Yeah. I just, I follow a lot of social, track social media, mm-hmm. and I see them all the time, and sometimes I hear about them from my sister. Yeah. And from other vultures as well. Like, some people just, they have a chip on their shoulder, mm-hmm. and they're, they're just going to say what they're going to say, and sometimes they're just like, well, I'm going to be negative. Yeah. But you just, I mean, you just got to slough it off. I mean, them saying that really isn't going to, I guess, affect you, or you shouldn't let it affect you anyways. Yeah. And you just move on. Yeah. Um, But I agree with you, though, that we, that I feel like there should be more listening in mm -hmm. sport as well. Yeah. And I think that that can come from both ends. Yeah. I feel like the fan base, obviously the Elites should listen to the fans because, I mean, that is their fan base. As mm. a professional athlete, you're you're an entertainer, and if you don't have an audience to entertain, right. there goes your livelihood. Right, right. Well, I, 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 I think, here's the thing, I think the meet directors and the, the sport, people in modern sport need to start listening to the Elites a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, because I think that that's not there enough. Like, I even like for my me, it's like, look, I know that there might be some people uh, in the area like don't like me because obviously we're competitors, right? Like we're clubs that compete against each other. But at the same time, I'm trying to appeal to the things that they like and enjoy because I know at the end of the day, if I can provide a meet that's really, really fun and has things that they like, like, you know, maybe somebody thinks it's silly, but like I got championship belts. For the open winners, you know, I can't tell you how just doing that is like something that people are pumped about. Like they want to win the belt. You know what I mean? And it's, it's something that just makes it a little bit cooler, you know? And so it's like, I don't like, I want to do that. And in fact, I'll tell you what, Andy, it's so funny. I I feel like, you know, I don't know what people think about me running this meet. Maybe they think, oh, like I'm running this meet because I want my club to win. But I honestly could care less which club wins. I can't wait to put that belt on the open winner's waist. You know what I mean? Like I can't wait to throw in the the winner. You know what I mean? To me, that's exciting, you know, Um, whether that's my athlete or not, you know. Um, But, yeah, it's like we we all have to just listen more, you know. Um, I... We, we've gone like over 50 minutes and I'm sure you have things to do and I have things to do too. Um, we should definitely do another podcast sometime soon. Uh, but I guess ending thoughts, um, you know, definitely a lot of things that we can use social media for, um, to help inform the fans. And I think again, going back to the whole reason, uh, you know, why we did this podcast, that tweet that you put out about your sister and her consistency, like what, a great analysis, you know what I mean? And Andy, I just, I, I hope you keep, keep it up. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think a lot of people want to hear and they want to see, you know? Um, and, and thank you again for, for providing the information and thanks for being on the podcast. Was, it, was there anything else thanks that so you wanted to mention? Me. Huh? Thanks so much for having me. I no problem. again if you would have me again. And yeah. I had a lot of fun. It was really cool to get into this type of discussion with Vault. Um, I've never really have had the opportunity to get this in depth with someone else about it. Yeah, yeah. I've just really enjoyed myself. Yeah, yeah.
No, thank you, man. And why why don't you let everybody know uh, what's your, like, Twitter, Instagram, or anything that you want to promote so that they can follow you if they want to see more information like this? Oh, okay. Um, My personal Twitter um, is just at Andy Majot. It's just my first and last name. Pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, But then I've recently started um, an account that's slowly growing, and it's more just results-based, but I would plan on making it more engaging and informative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Inside the Oval. Um, it's field event-focused, so it's not just pole vault, but... Mm-hmm. I actually, I started following last week when you told me about it, so... Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much. No problem. Yeah, I just... It's at Inside Oval, um, and as time goes on, I hope to get more informative and... Mm-hmm. As we were talking about, just kind of educate fans, grow yeah. the fan base, and give the field events what I feel they deserve and that they don't get. So awesome! Well, hey, th- thanks again, and um, you know, I we'll definitely do this again. You know, um, sounds good. Yeah, and hold on one second. And for everybody listening, uh, remember it's at the real Apex Vaulting on Instagram. Uh, we're also Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, and uh, Snapchat. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully you'll hear us next time, guys. Thanks for listening.